Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. Roxanne Durhaj of Authentic Living with Roxanne. Thanks for tuning in again uh, this week. Today I have a colleague um, that I've spent quite a lot of time with in the last little while. Uh, um, back in uh, January, we were in Toronto together and uh, have gotten to know each other very, very well. Um, Lindsay Lapaquette. Lindsay is a workplace communication expert, and uh, in this day and age, not that communication hasn't been very important, but even more vitally important uh, in the times that we're in. So, Lindsay, thanks for joining me uh, today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Roxanne. I'm excited to talk to you again. So, she's a repeater. She's been on once before, but she has lots more she can share. So, Lindsay, obviously, you know, and everyone I know often will discuss the importance of communication. Um, and even more so in this time, it becomes something that I think is separating out uh, people that um, were maybe struggling before and maybe people that have had to pivot quickly in reference to a lot of the companies or even the leadership or some of the frontline employees uh, companies that I've been talking to. So let's, let's just jump right into what you're seeing with communication and some of the different needs that are coming about or are they different in, in this kind of uh, time of uncertainty? Yeah. So I, I think the needs... The patterns are the same or similar, but they're really being amplified. So I'm seeing that people who have a tendency um, to listen and be empathetic and, and help others out are doing that considerably. Um, those who have a tendency to become much more stressed um, and to, to, to pass that stress on in the way they communicate, that's coming out more. And I don't want to you know, say that it's necessarily one or the other. So for myself, I'm both more empathetic and, and also at times more stressed and, and passing on that stress in the way I convey to others. So I think, like I said, there's similar patterns, but um, it's affecting us more to, to stronger extents right now. So obviously we know that stress impacts us in so, so many ways. And, you know, I, I've, I've often said, and I think probably multiple times on this podcast, that if you're, if you're saying you're not stressed right now, I would be checking for a pulse because we are all stressed. Uh, before Lindsay and I got on, we were talking about um, her with her two children at home and, and her and her husband both trying to like juggle their business and, and, and uh, you know, the hours and hours of uh, homework that her kids are getting. And they, Lindsay lives in uh, Quebec. And from a lot of the people that I'm also coaching, there's a, so much more pressure because now everything's living under the same roof. Whereas before, you know, we could kind of leave the environments, you know, de-stress in certain ways. All those things are now gone, right? Like, you know, we used to complain about commutes, which sometimes commutes were a de-stressor, if you think about it. And now people used to say, you know, I, I couldn't wait for that 20 minutes to kind of jump in the car and 
drive down the highway and then before I know it, I'm home and then I'm kind of feeling like I'm pivoted out of it. That's something that's, say, for instance, been lost. So stress is definitely, I would say, exponentially gone up. And so, of course, that's going to impact people's ability to, to, like you say, be more empathetic because people at home maybe are feeling a little bit more um, under the radar. Like, you know, a lot more pressure on them um, and their roles are all in the same space. So yeah, how, how, when, you, when you train, and uh, Lizzie does a lot of training with communication, how do you approach teaching about stress and the impact of communication in workplaces? Yeah. Um, so can I actually share a story before I, I, I get to your question? Sure, sure. Um, well, let me address your question a bit at the same time. So for me, the way we communicate with one another is intimately tied to our awareness of how we are feeling in the moment, whether we're aware of how stressed we are or not. So are we saying to somebody, I need a minute, I'm feeling really stressed right now, I can't think about that at the moment, I can't concentrate, or are we yelling at them when we get interrupted mm. because we're not even necessarily aware of how stressed we are or don't have the skills to communicate that differently? Um, and so the story I'd actually wanted to share was that my son yesterday, so my kids have just started online schooling this week, and last night he actually said to me, Mommy, it's really hard for me to go on Zoom and off again and have to go back and pay attention again to switch between school and home and school and home. It's too hard for me. And I said to him, you know, Logan, everyone in the world right now is struggling with how, I said, we used to have home in one spot, work in another. For some, those were already combined, like you and I. Um, but home in one spot, work in another, and school in another space. And, and so we knew when we were in that space what we had to focus on, and it didn't all blend together. And I said, now that's kind of been smushed up. <laughs> I was explaining it to a 10-year-old. And we're trying to figure out all, all of this. And so that awareness of how our circumstances has changed and how that's going to affect um, how we're managing the situation is going to help us communicate better because instead of um, ranting and raving about um, things that are going on, which, you know, happens to the best of us, myself included, um, we, we can have more productive conversations around what's not working and find solutions. So when I, when I work with individuals or organizations, a lot of the work I do is helping bring an awareness to when um, they are in what I call the reactive zone of communication which is the zone where we are responding instinctually, right? Instinctively, we're not, um, there's not necessarily space between what we're experiencing on an emotional level and how we're reacting. Or are we in what I call the receptive zone of communication, whereas where something upsetting might happen, but we have the awareness to sort of give ourselves time to come down um, from that big upset and, that often can help us make a better decision in terms of how we're interacting with the world. So that's a lot of the core of the work that I do um, with organizations. It's creating that gap, right? I often say that it's kind of like something happens, I'm stressed, I react, I do something and then I go, oh God, I should have thought that one through or right. <laughs> I could have done that a little bit better. So it's, it's really kind of teaching people about those zones. And each person is so different, right, yeah. with, in reference to the reaction. And sometimes 
some people are unaware um, potentially how abrupt they might come across or how right. cryptic they might become until someone says, do you realize, Kanye, that you came across a little bit, you know, uh, rude or, you know, and then they go, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. Sometimes it's that lack of awareness to your point. And then they might go, oh, that's just my way. And not them not understand the impact that they're having on the person across from them. So I would think mm -hmm. that, that that education piece probably would be very, very vital, vital for people to start to understand. Absolutely. So I, I see there's four sort of fundamental pieces to effective communication. And I think a lot of work on communication centers around sort of what I see as the top layer, which is how what words do I say? How do I start an interaction when I'm feeling awkward and don't want to address the subject? And those are all important things. But if you dig a little deeper, um, you have to be able to manage your reactions to emotions going on or manage, you know, when you're feeling really uncomfortable or feeling really upset, you have to be able to manage those feelings to be able to stay in that interaction and not either blow up or want to disappear. Mm -hmm. um, you have to have an awareness of your own um, your own behaviors and your own, um, your own, you know, what's, what's going on inside of you. And then you have to have an understanding of someone else's reality of the situation. So the ability to take someone else's, put yourself in other, somebody else's shoes essentially, and see the situation from their point of view. And then it's how we communicate with each other. Because if you focus just on the words we use, but you haven't understood the other person's perspective or, you know, you're not aware that you're being too abrupt, you can only get so far. So stressors are high to your point. So I'm going to say there's a, probably a lot of people bumping up against each other, um, you know, because they are so stressed and, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're talking about what can you do, those types of things, but it becomes a little bit more difficult. I know when people are pivoting into, like, to your point, you and I have worked, you know, we work from home a lot other than when we travel. Um, so we've kind of, you know, I've been virtual now going back, oh goodness, since 2003 with my corporate and, you know, and how poorly I did it then, <laughs> um, you know, starting off. And then, you know, obviously when I started my own business, you know, I was, it was in uh, 2010. It, it's, it's a difficult transition, um, you know, when you kind of try to do it because we're so accustomed, um, you know, to seeing people and connecting, right? And then when I, if let's say I have a conflict with you, Lindsay, it's easier if I have to walk past your office, kind of, and I'm thinking, oh, I have that thing to talk to Lindsay about, but I keep seeing you, so it's going to kind of keep coming up. But yeah. when I'm kind of in the context of seeing you here, and that stress, I would think, could potentially be even deeper ingrained in me, in that I have to hold it together to be able to have the conversation, but there's not the impetus of running by you at the, at the coffee station or in the lunchroom, so I can kind of put things a little bit deeper. Do you find that um, in the virtual environment, sometimes um, things can go a little bit, get a bit more hidden and get become a bit Absolutely. explosive? Absolutely. So explosive in the sense that I think there's a lot more brewing under the surface that, that isn't getting addressed because there isn't that ongoing contact in between. So let's say you're on a virtual meeting with a team and somebody says something that upsets you and it's harder too if there's, I don't know, say 10 people on the call, it's harder for you to interject in that moment 
to say something because other people can't, you know, there's little squares on a Zoom call and nobody's, or not nobody, but it's not as likely somebody is going to notice your body language that is showing that you're upset. And so the moment might go unnoticed and then it's in, it's on you to then bring that up, but the conversation keeps flowing. And then a few minutes later, it starts to feel like it's not timely anymore to bring that up. And then because you don't bump into that person in the hallway, if you are someone who would have addressed it, it it might just disappear. And those tensions I think are building a lot right now in, in people because everyone's already really strapped in terms of their pressures at home. Mm -hmm. Um, the pressures in the workplace, you know, people I've spoken to companies who have told me they are trying their best to make sure their employees are feeling appreciated and, you know, they want to retain their employees and keep them motivated. But they said to me, you know, we, we know our next product needs to get out by deadline or we don't have the cash flow to pay our employees. So if we don't get this out, we, they also feel they need to sort of squeeze the employees to get the work done because they don't want to tell the employees, Hey, your job is depending on this product. So, um, I think all of that really feeds into how little tensions are building up more because people's buckets are already full. There's not a lot of space for extra little stressors. And so people, they bother people a lot a lot more than, you know, whereas something before they might've, you might've let that go or it might not have bothered you as much. Um, People are on edge for understandable reasons. Well, because of the fear, right? Like, you know, here in Ontario, we were talking about getting out from phase one into phase two, and now they've delayed phase one because we've seen a spike in, in, in cases again here. So here we are, we're kind of trucking along, kind of thinking, oh, we're getting a little bit better. And now the the, mute, the pause button has been hit again. So that fear level that we've all have, you know, it's kind of, we're, we're, we're maybe managing it and now it's going up a little bit more. So, and you put that, like you said, you know, and everybody's, most people are working from home. If you have a job and a lot of people have to be thankful they do, but still, even in that space, people are still wondering, uh, am I going to have a job when this lifts? So right. that's an additional, that's like a, you know, that's like turning up the heat on the Bunsen burner even higher right so your point like you're talking about maybe leadership is saying we got to get this product out by deadline because we're not going to have the cash flow to be able to keep our employees so you could understand whether you know um that stress level is bubbling at a a, you know such a such a higher level yeah or even so i look here in quebec so um non-essential businesses were allowed to open. I think it was May 11th outside of Montreal. And then in Montreal, it was just this past Monday, May 25th. And uh, there are employees who don't feel safe going back to work, right? They might be um, in a position where they live with somebody who is, let's say, immunocompromised. And uh, so I will caveat to say I have not read any new legislative, any new documentation coming out in the past week or so. So this might have changed. But uh, about a week ago, the the rules from the equivalent of what would be WSIB or workers' uh, safety uh, were that if you lived with someone at risk, you still, I think you get 10 days of, of sick time you can use to care for someone. But beyond that, you need to return to work if your employer mm-hmm. is asking you to. And so that stress... Um, I, I can't imagine how huge that must be. My husband is high risk and I'm, I'm grateful I'm not in a position where I have to decide, do I leave my job in an economy where I don't know how I might get another? 
or do I potentially put a family member at risk? So I think all of these, you know, each person is experiencing a different combination of these types of stressors, some more than others, mm. but overall stress levels are, are, are high and it's affecting immensely, I think, how we communicate with others. I mean, you can see it on, on social media, how people are, are tearing into one another with, you know, people who have different opinions or even this morning, I, um, I haven't been out in a car a lot since COVID and I drove home this morning and a lady cut me off and, you know, honked and, and gave me the finger. And, um, you know, I thought there's a reflection of how stressed people are. Yeah. Yeah. That's a reality. So if we, if we go back again to, um, the elements of in-person, we have less of that. We have a lot more things kind of layered up. We could have our separate kind of lives. We'd have our personal lives and we'd have our workplace lives and then we'd have our social lives. And that, even that, I mean, it's, it's come down to screen time to be able to, to see family members and, and family, those types of things. So the nonverbal element, let's talk a little bit about that, right? Because I mean, I'm seeing, you know, half of you, you seeing half of me, there's two of us. So I can kind of, and I know Lindsay very well, you know, so I, I, I kind of know a bit of her nuances. I think she would know a bit of mine, but if we were on the screen potentially with 20 other, or maybe say a team of 15 um, and there's dissension or conflict, a, a brew, like, you're, like how are you reading potentially if I'm the lead of the team or even if I'm working on a project within the team, how am I able to read the verbals uh, or the not, well, the verbals we're hearing, but the nonverbals on an ongoing, I would think that that would be something that would be a little bit more difficult now. Absolutely. Well, let's just look at the fact that if you want to give people the impression you're looking in the eye, Mm-hmm. looking them in the eye, you need to be looking at the camera and not the person on the screen. Right. And I'm not looking at the camera. I'm looking at you. So I probably look like I'm off looking somewhere else. Yeah. And I'm thing. looking at the camera. So I'm not following your nonverbal. <laughs> <laughs> See, and these are yeah. two people that do this stuff all the time. Yeah. And so with you, I feel I know you well enough that I can look at the camera and, and I kind of have a good feel for, um, you know, I don't, I don't have that same need to read your nonverbal. I was on a networking call with 16 brand new people just prior to this. And I couldn't look at the camera because I don't know any of them. And I, and I, I couldn't, I needed to see that, that information on their face. So the fact that it, either it looks like someone is looking at you and they're not, or if they are looking at you, it looks like they're not, that's a big disconnect in the way we are used to, um, measuring whether or not somebody is paying attention to us, right? Because before averted eyes was a sign that somebody was perhaps not paying attention. Whereas now it's a sign that somebody may be looking at you right on the screen. Mm. And unless you know that explicitly and have thought that through, you may read that incorrectly. Absolutely. And what a good point, right? Like, I mean, so that affinity comes from us knowing each other. However, um, with all the, the stresses that we're talking about on teams, their attention is, I'm going to say probably you're potentially seeing a, a different iteration of your team members because we're all dealing with this and, you know, maybe East to West coast or, you know, a couple of different locations. So, and then people are trying to come together to, to, to work on common projects, maybe that they started prior to, 
um, and then all of a sudden they're having to, you know, to work again. So I could see um, how there'd be a lot more miscommunication or misreading of nonverbals. Um, and if you're, I mean, you know, I'm a hand user, so people would expect me to use my hand. But if I'm kind of trying to think really, you know, let's say I'm really, really stressed, I might be trying to kind of be a bit more contained, but that may be perceived as, well, Roxanne's not listening, or she's not, she's not as fluid, or what's up with her, or there's so many variations that could be if, if you perceive me as acting differently from what you're accustomed yeah. to, even though the context is a screen versus in person. Yeah, and so one thing I found really helpful in, so I've done a lot of remote work prior to COVID hitting. And I have led groups of, you know, maybe 20 people through big discussions on big topics via Zoom. And that's hard because when you're trying to get the read on what everyone thinks about a project, when um, you're not in person, it gets, what I found was it got to be hard to both lead the discussion and truly, um, reflect on what everyone was saying and moderate, um, like moderate speaking time and making sure people were heard and reading other people's nonverbal, which, which I can do very well in person. I found it much more challenging online. And what, what I had moved to doing in, in my business was that I would have somebody with me. Mm -hmm. So if I'm leading the discussion, I have somebody with me from my team who's reading other people's nonverbal who may then like after I finish saying something or somebody else may say, you know, I just noticed that John seemed a little confused about that point. John, do you have a question? Because it's harder when as a participant to interject because usually what happens is one person starts, stops talking and then, and five will start if you're in a group of 20 because that nonverbal you can't see them leaning forward. So, you know, they're the next one who's going to speak. All that information is, is missing in many ways. Yeah, so that's a good point. So really having a second set of eyes um, because we're not physically in the same space. Um, and it just, I mean, I went, and so I, oftentimes you can do that in person too. You might miss a cue, but you know, you could kind of kind of scan the room and quickly pick that up again. But so definitely getting someone to assist you or moderate with you is, is a helpful thing. Yeah. Um, what are some tips then that you think that you would give people to help them? Let's say, you know, there's people, there's leaders. On, I mean, um, we're talking about awareness and, you know, I talk a lot about authenticity and awareness and, you know, how does, you know, what you do align with what you value as a leader and as an employee, all those things. But are there some basic tips that you could give people um, that just want to communicate better, period, verbally, mm -hmm. non-verbally? Um, what are some of the basic things that you yeah. think? people could might consider or might maybe start to up, apply. And maybe some of it would be really basic, but I think sometimes we assume that people know some of the things that we're talking about. Yeah. So I think one of the ones for, you know, when we're, when we're virtual um, is that we really have to be mindful of the space that everyone is taking. This is true live obviously as well, but um it becomes, I think, even more difficult for someone who is more introverted to interject um, in a virtual setting. The other thing is that not everyone is going to be comfortable, you know, on 
on virtual, when you speak, if you're in speaker view, you're now on the full screen. Not everyone's going to be comfortable in a larger meeting being, being in the spotlight like that. Mm. Um, so being mindful of how you're setting up activities and expectations to meet the comfort level and, and um, personalities of different individuals, I think is important. Um, my son shared with me yesterday, so my son is quite introverted and, and has a lot of anxiety and um, yesterday said to me, and he really doesn't like doing school on Zoom. And I was asking him why. And he said, I don't like having to talk in front of the class. And I said to him, do you have to talk in front of the class when you're at school? And he said, yes, it's different though. It's not the same. I feel so strange, mm. you know, and, and it, I, I, I think there are definitely adults out there too, who this virtual world is difficult for. So can you, you know, make sure that those people have been heard by sending them a little message afterwards mm. and saying, Hey, we discussed this. I'm curious your thoughts on it or, um, you know, finding ways to include them. Can you use, there's polls, you know, Slido, I'm sure you're aware of, mm-hmm. and there's other polls where people can share their opinions in ways that doesn't force them to have to be speaking in front mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. um, in, in front of everybody else, but you're still ensuring they're participating. The other thing that I think is really important is ensuring that we're being a lot more explicit about communication. So I think this was needed before, but now more than ever, all those things that either are going unsaid or you're not sure of, um, you, you need to bring it up to clarify. So one example that I was told recently was a team who um, had had a meeting and they'd set a deadline and one team had understood, or the the leader, let's say, had set the deadline for next Friday, but the team had understood it was in three weeks. I'm not sure exactly how that happened, but Mm -hmm. what they told me was that had we been in the office, we would have bumped into one another and realized, you know, somebody would have said, how's that project going? And they would have said, oh, we haven't started it yet because we have other priorities. It's not due for three weeks. That didn't happen because they didn't Mm -hmm. bump into one another. And so the day it was due or the day after the person it was due to said, you know, Hey, where's, where's this project? And it wasn't started. Um, so, you know, if we say, for instance, give the deadline, maybe have the person repeat back. Can you just confirm to me, you know, Mm -hmm. or, or like following up with an email, we have to be really careful on, um, making sure the way we think we communicated, that's the same way the person received it. Yeah, that's a good point, right? Because, you know, we often say that in our little worlds, our communication is perfect, <laughs> right? Until you have to send it to someone else and then you realize, well, how did, where'd you get that from? So it's, yeah. you know, and I often say it's that figure eight, right? It's kind of, I send a message and then somehow it gets translated over here and then it comes back at you and you're like, oh, I didn't even say that. Like, where did you get that? Yes. So I think it's touching, touching base, uh, you know, your introverts, you know, um, making sure your introverts have a voice to say, yeah. I know we're going to put you on the spot here, you know, Roxanne, you don't normally say much, but I just want to give people a platform that are less likely to be verbal. Like you said, things like having polls, um, sometimes having maybe getting to the point where you do have a minute taker, even though maybe it wasn't the norm with most of your meetings or a lot of times your Zoom meetings get recorded, not that people have the extra time, but if you, let's say you get lost in something, you can go back to the files to check the Zoom record to, to ensure you, you know, yeah. 
you got those pieces, there's a lot of different things then that I would say you'd have to start to put in place. Yeah. And I think also, you know, at the end of that meeting, and I think many people do this already, but making a really concise summary of, okay, this is, this, these are the decisions we've made. This is what we're focusing on. And so say that in the meeting, then send a really short email summary so that the expectations hopefully should be clear because they were stated in the meeting, they were summarized and recapped verbally, and then they were sent again in writing. And, and then of course, with the question of if there's any confusion, please reach out and let me know. Um, it's, I think somebody said this to me, um, and it made so much sense. They said, now is the time to over-communicate, over-communicate, over-communicate. And then if you've done that, you know you've communicated just enough. <laughs> it's not always the case, right? Yeah. Uh, communicate, 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 and then do some more just in case somebody yes. missed the, the first three times. Yeah. And then still there's going to be things that, that go awry. Yeah. Now, in reference to um, if I'm on a team and there has been some residual conflicts, um, what's the best approach to go, you know to go about in person obviously you know you do a lot of resolving conflicts and stuff like that but in this pivot people didn't have time right like it happened it happened you know march whatever 15 16 17th based on where you were and all of a sudden people were home um and a lot of companies have just been trying to stay afloat since yeah if I'm a team member and let's say I've had kind of ongoing conflict with maybe one or two other people, um, I've been able to manage it, but I'm finding now that with, with all the stressors and pressures at home that I'm having a, a more difficult time um, managing kind of communication on a team. What, what would be some of the things that you might mm -hmm. suggest? So if, if it's, if it's you who's having challenges with a specific team member, um, my suggestion first off, and this would be the same in person, would be to address it directly with the person. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of what I see happening is that that person who's having the difficulties instead goes straight to their supervisor or sometimes even the supervisor's supervisor. And um, it, it doesn't give the opportunity to the person you're having difficulty with to say, oh, hey, wow, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that that was difficult and to repair. And in fact, by not dealing with it with that person directly, you're sort of creating a bigger rift because of course now they feel you've went behind their back and, and they don't trust you. So of course this depends on the extent of what's going on, you know, um, but it, I, I really think as a first step, it's addressing it with them and just saying, you know, Hey, earlier, you know, when you, when you mentioned that, when, when, you, when you said I was disorganized uh, because I hadn't handed in, you know, this whatever, um, I didn't appreciate being spoken about like that, you know? So just, just saying what happened. So it's really about focusing on the behaviors and not, like, not, not insulting the person, mm -hmm. focusing on the behaviors you didn't like Stating what you don't like and, um, and and what you need respectfully and and calmly, and then you're going to see what the other person's going to do. Some people may apologize. Some people may become even more um, disparaging. And 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 if it gets to that point, then perhaps um, once you've attempted to address it a few times, I would say that's maybe the point at which you bring on in, on a supervisor. Um, but I think the what, what I'm seeing and suspecting is going to continue happening is 
there are rifts happening in teams because these issues aren't going, aren't being addressed. Like you said, people have been so uh, busy and stressed. Um, but there will be a cost to this in business when things slow down and whether we end up back in the office or we stay remote, the, the cohesion needed to work well together on, on projects is going to be impacted if this stuff stays unaddressed long term. It's kind of like the um, calm after the storm to some degree, right? We keep the ship afloat and then we relax and all the things that all the ripple effects that we didn't address along the way really comes to the surface at that point. And then teams will have to address it. They'll have no, no, you know, industries or sectors will have to address it, yeah. you know, because then people won't be able to function the, the way um, that they need to, to be able to, to, to get back to optimal functioning. Yeah. No, for, for, from the leader perspective, let's think of, you know, a little bit about, we're talking about the stressors and stuff like that. Um, what can leaders do? Like, so let's assume again that, you know, like we're saying, everybody is dealing with things in a different way. People are maybe hyper-functioning just to be able to secure yeah. their jobs. Um, they're, they're dealing with all the pressures that we've been uh, discussing so far. Um, so as a leader, what kind of things do you think and now we, you know, we also have to think that the leader has to take care of him or herself along the way, you know, probably 10 times as much because they have to come back and function with their teams. What could they do to kind of address some of the stressors and, but at the same time, keeping people accountable, accountable for their uh, ability to communicate effectively. Mm -hmm. So I think the one you said is, is to me is the foundation is if you do not take care of yourself as a leader, First of all, you're modeling behaviors to your employees that are not the behaviors you want them to adopt. So the first thing I think is really ensuring that you're doing what you need in your day, not just for your business, but for yourself to be able to address situations calmly and productively and make decisions from a place that is not in that panicked state, which, you know, it makes sense that, that so many have been in this state because the pressure people are under is immense. But, you know, it might be really little things like going for a walk before you step into the office for 20 minutes, again, mm -hmm. for 20 minutes at lunch. If you have to take a call while you're walking at lunch, I mean, it's not, I, I do promote real breaks, but I know some people feel they can't take that right now. Just try your best to find the smallest of moments to um, bring some well-being into your life. To me, that's the foundation. Um, beyond that, though, I think what I'm seeing is that it's employers who have been able to be flexible, as flexible as they can, given the demands of their industry, um, who, are, who are able to, who have been able to shift through this with the least impact on their employees. And I mm -hmm. still think there's been impact on those employees with flexible employers, but um, it is, you have to also look at the situation from an employee's perspective. So I was told by somebody that they were expecting their employees to be available from nine to five with children or not on all calls as needed. And, you know, it was not acceptable for a child to walk into the room. And I, I understand that from a business perspective. The reality is that that's an impossible setup for anyone who has young children. Absolutely. And so either we're, as a leader, we're putting our employees in a position where A, they're going to start to resent you 
and, and their job, but they're going to stay because the economy is bad. Um, you know, th- there's not a lot of wiggle room here. So if you can look at, are there ways to, you know, I, I was speaking with somebody earlier who their employees are, are getting up early and um, doing some work before the kids get up, doing some before the kids, after the kids go to bed. But he also said, this is not sustainable at long term. Mm-hmm. We're looking for a solution to this because he recognizes that although he's been very flexible, the cost on his employees' well-being is going to impact how they're functioning at work, right? You cannot be on from 6 a.m. until midnight, day after day after day, and not see an impact on how people communicate with one another and on how productive they're going to be in their day. So I think leaders like him mm-hmm. are going to fare best in, in this situation. And I think, you know, I, I, I was coaching someone earlier and uh, she gets up at five, works till noon, so her husband could um, then get time. So she takes the children at, at noon and then he gets to work from noon to what, seven or whatever. So that's, a, if you think about it, that's a lot, right? Because, yeah. you know, two young children, they still have to do this, whatever, Zoom and all that. At some point, you're right. Um, you know, I remember when I was in corporate and we would talk about the, you know, I'm going to date myself here, Lindsay, the BlackBerry policy where you could stop at five, you could send an email and the service would not deliver it until six o'clock the next morning. Oh, that sounds great. I didn't know that existed. Yes. In corporate, (laughs) they had to, we had to implement it way back when we went, um, because what would happen is somebody would get about two o'clock and they'd be working at something, let's say, because they couldn't sleep or they work late and they'd keep, start sending things. So a lot of big companies institute the policy that you could work on stuff, but know that if you sent it, um, once they put this policy in place, it wouldn't be delivered until six o'clock the next morning, which really kind of created that space for people to not think that, oh my goodness, you know, Lindsay's working at 2.30 in the morning. What the heck am I doing sleep? It would create a lot of tension, right? But now we have the opposite because the workplace is in the home. Yeah. Right. So you don't have that disconnection. So I think the, the, a conscious leader would try to be as adaptable as possible yeah. to create the space, right? For people. And, to, well, and I think, yeah, yeah. And I think the needs are different for different people, you know, because when I talk to my colleagues who have older children, they, they're, you know, I'm, I'm talking, you know, sort of late teens age, their kids are online on school, um, all day during the day. And so they're able to get their work done in different ways. Whereas I speak to my sister who has, you know, a young baby and a two-year-old, they're struggling a lot more to get their work done. So I think there also needs to be an understanding that um, this is affecting different people differently. And we can't always see on the surface. So what I mean by that is, by looking at the, the factors of someone's life, you know, how many children they have, or we don't always know all the pieces that play into that, right? And all of their responsibilities. So it's, I think as a leader, it's also being sensitive to um, listening to what your employees are telling you, you know, creating an environment where if somebody says to you, um, you know, I'm doing everything I can to, to get my hours done and I don't know what else to do. I mean, I'm going to be honest and tell you, I don't even know the exact solution to that um, problem, but I think 
what you can do is, is open up the conversation or be, be willing to listen to what they're saying instead of just saying, well, listen, you know, you're, you owe us seven hours a day and figure it out. You need to be available. I know you have kids, but um, this is your job. And if you want to keep it, do it. Um, I think part of what people need is for you to hear how difficult it is. And instead of having the conversation that way, to be more empathetic um, like you talked about authenticity earlier, you know, I think it's okay to share. I, uh, you know, I understand how difficult this is. We're all having a, a tough time with this right now and, and ask them what they need. Mm. And sometimes what they're going to ask for is going to be so much smaller than what you fear. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's about communication and being open. And really having people uh, know in your questioning or your, um, that you really care, right? Like there they yeah. may be no perfect solution at the end yes. of the day, but at least people feel validated um, and that you're, you're thinking about them. Like one particular uh, CEO that I um, interviewed for my new book, he made a reach out call, like he has 200 employees. And what he did is that was what he did. He ca- they calendarized his day so that he could do a to reach out he says, not a, hey, how are you doing? Nice to talk to you. Hang up. But really kind of chatted with, you know, I don't want you to worry. I'm here. We're in it together. Um, let me know what you need. There's no pressure. You know, so he, and I thought, wow, what, what a phenomenal thing. And, you know, they, they try to set it up so that he could do a certain amount of calls every single day. I think we, at the time we talked, it was seven weeks out and he had almost done all 200 calls, right? So that and think shows of the impact, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. When, you're, when you're struggling and, you know, feeling like you can't keep up at this rhythm and the CEO calls you and is like, hey, I hear you, I see you. Because that's essentially right. what they're saying in, in, in different words. I right. see your struggle, I appreciate you, I appreciate what you're giving to this company. It goes a really, really, I just got shivers saying that. It goes a long way. Um, and I do think it's, it's the companies who... When I look at the return to work, for instance, the, mm-hmm. the people who are afraid to come back, those who are being told, you need to come back anyhow, this is the law, do it. If that person comes back and gets infected and their loved one gets infected and dies, you may be facing a lawsuit mm-hmm. because that employee may say the conditions were not safe, you didn't put in place enough safety measures. Whereas if you have a conversation with them and say, I understand. I, you know, I understand your husband is high risk. I know how scary that must feel very scary. Um, you know, I wish we could arrange things. Otherwise, unfortunately with the demands of the company right now, I don't know what else we can do because we do need employees and, you know, basically show them the law and say that this is the situation we're in. I think at the very least you're, creating a relationship with that employee where whether they return to work or not, um, the, it's not going to create that same toxic environment within the company um, as, as the other scenario. Right. It's like uh, Gladwell, and I think it was the tipping point, I believe in one of his books, he talked a little bit about um, physicians that actually get sued versus ones that don't hmm. um, when there's a death of a uh, family member. And the ones that actually took the time when he did the research, 
um, to get to know the individual, the family members, those were the least likely that they would uh, actually take a litigious point of view if there was a death of a family member. So I think to those basics, right, getting to really know someone. And I think we're in that space where we're really, you know, all of us have that fear. Um, you know, I have two elderly parents and, you know, you, I know, like you said, your husband is immune compromised. Like there's, there's lots of people that are worried you know, about their family members. So you can see that fear um, along with everything else. It's a lot of things swirling. Yeah. Lindsay, this has been phenomenal yet again. Um, you know, first time around, I think we talked about lots of different things, but uh, what, uh, what breath you've brought to, to the space around communication. Um, and uh, I, I've, I've learned so many little things today and I'm sure that everybody else has uh, learned uh, lots of things listening. Is there anything else you want to kind of share um, before we let you go? And also, I would like you to let everyone know where they can get a hold of you if they're interested in um, having you do uh, any kind of work with them. Sure. Um, yeah, so my website is lindsaylapaquette.com. I'll apologize for the door knocking um, <laughs> as we discuss struggling to work from home. Uh, my website is lindsaylapaquette.com. And uh, I'm actually just launching a new uh, program that includes uh, a virtual workshop for leaders and their teams, as well as ongoing coaching. And so you can check that out on my website. Um, and I also have uh, an e-guide on my website if you scroll down to the bottom of the homepage with tips on how to navigate difficult conversations at work, which I think is particularly pertinent in these difficult times. So um, go and check that out. Okay, so for everyone, the one tip that I'm taking away is um, to look at the right at the camera. <laughs> or, <Is> not. That, <laughs> or not. Or not. If everybody's looking at me, they go, okay, we know how she talks. But I just did just the little things, right? The small things that you don't think about, I think, that, you know, all kidding aside, is just to think about how could I clarify um, and I'm an extrovert, so I sometimes don't think about the introverts and maybe don't think of the people that aren't going to share. And how could I, I engage people like that even more in my conversations, um, you know, to think about them and, and to think what might somebody different from me, how, what might they need to be able to verbalize or even share in a different way. Um, naturally, as an extrovert, I just expect it's going to come flying out of everybody. And we know that that's really not the case. And sometimes it's not the best thing to be like that, but uh, to really think about how different people communicate and what they might need different from me as uh, the way I communicate. So again, Lindsay, thanks a lot for your time and Thank for you. everyone for tuning in. Um, as you know, I'm a mental health and wellness expert. I do speaking and training and consulting. You can reach me at RoxanneDurhodge.com. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.